Octa Non Verba is a show that's raw and real, featuring hard-hitting interviews with people that live by the ethos of actions, not words. Marcus Aurelius Anderson is a TEDx speaker, best-selling author, veteran, and leadership and mindset coach. With this show, you get to join Marcus as he goes inside the minds and experiences of the world's most successful warriors, leaders, entrepreneurs, and experts. With each episode, you're going to get the philosophies, concepts, tactics, and strategies these leaders use to turn adversity into victory. Live an extraordinary life based on actions, not words. Now, here's your host, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. In this episode of Octanon Verba, we hear part two of my interview with Sifu Dan Anderson, founder and head instructor of Anderson's Martial Arts Academy in New York City. In part one, we talked about his martial arts philosophy, how protecting your family can and should be a driving motivator, and how to cultivate your inner warrior. You can hear part one on episode 39 of Okta Nonverba. In part two, Sifu Anderson shares how the adversity that he went through at a young age has truly shaped the man, martial artist, and instructor that he is today. Please enjoy. You know, I don't know if you remember when they killed this kid, Eric Garner, in New York. They interviewed me for one of these, I, don't, I forgot the news channel, they interviewed me and they were like, the police are going to do this hammer lock. This is a basic arm lock, a bent arm lock, right? And they're like, do you think that they'll be able to do this tactic and they can control a kid? And I said, no. And the, the producer like stopped the thing. <laughs> of course he did. And can you just kind of like, you know, it might be like, well, all right, I, I can rephrase it. Let me reframe it. So then it gets back on. They're like, okay, go. And it's like, well, I think it's going to be very difficult for anyone who doesn't train martial arts just to apply martial art techniques. You may know the technique. Sure, I know how to play football, but I can't play football. You know, I follow along in sports. I, I see baseball and I see basketball. And sure, my father-in-law is sitting here screaming at the TV, but he couldn't play a single lick. And he has no clue why that guy didn't pass the ball to that other guy because we're just watching it. We can follow it, but we can't do it. You can't do it unless you practice it and do it to where there's so much repetition built in that you can do it on instinct. And that takes a long time. So they kept it. They kept it in there. But my point to everything is like, if you're not prepared, you're not going to make it up. So it was so funny because one of my friends told me what a prepper was. Because, <laughs> you know, you have this weird thing with preppers. You're like, prepper. He goes, Dan, you're a prepper. And I'm like, I'm not a prepper. Those guys on that show with the thing. Everything's stacked up to the ceiling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, no, you are. You're a prepper. You're a modern day prepper. You're a smart prepper. So I go, what does it mean? He goes, it just means prepared. And I go, okay, then yeah, I am a prepper. <laughs> like, but at first I didn't know the meaning, right? And I, I took it this weird way. But like when pandemic happened, I, you know, we were so prepared. I have like five months of food rationed in the, the basement, the 255 gallon drums of water, you know, the purification tablets, all this stuff. I had all those masks. I had 195 masks in my bug out bag. <laughs> I had all this stuff. But like being prepared for a weapons encounter, you can't do anything but train. You have to go and seek out an instructor and train it. And the hard part is like what you and I have been talking about loosely through the whole conversation is about, will they be ethical? 
I mean, I'm not going to pull out a knife and be like, Marcus, you took my parking light. So you really kind of have to nurture and mold that student or you can turn them into like a, one of these crazy guys. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to do. And I think, again, this is, goes back to the ethics and the ethos. So many people now, if somebody cuts me off in traffic or takes a parking spot that I'm trying to get into, if I am not truly around what a real threat is compared to what my interpretation of what a threat is, and now the adrenaline is jumping in my body over this thing that really, in the grand scheme of things, I just drive on and go to the next place. Maybe I walk an extra block to where I have to go. But to some people, that to them is there's this entire escalation of force. Like, I'm going to do this and do this. And I've got my blade. I can draw it here. It's like... They used to be me. Yeah. I would lose my mind. My friend said something to me. And it's a rule now in my life. I never argue with strangers. Mm-mm. So smart. Guy said something to me. I like to look at him. I'm like, okay. I just leave. And I try not to let it enter me. Before, when I was younger, I'm going to prove point to this guy. I'm going to slap him right now. I'm going to hit him. I'm going to go crazy on him. But why argue with someone you don't know? And I was like, wow, that's really smart. <laughs> He's like, yeah, Dan, you're just, you're pushing yourself closer to the target. And he goes, you're trained to do that. But you have to train yourself to walk away, which is going to be hard for you. And he goes, why would you argue with a stranger? You don't know him. You don't have any relationship with him. You're never going to see him again. You don't know what his life is about. He don't know what your life is about. He's not a friend. Because a friend, you can argue, be like, hey, you know, you're drinking too much. You're doing this too much. You're doing that. Because you love that person. That's why there's a conflict, a debate with them. Because you're trying to share a different viewpoint. And then I'm like, ah, oh, this makes a lot of sense. So then I made it a rule not to ever do it. Someone cuts me off. I'm just like, whatever. Someone does whatever. I'm just whatever, whatever, whatever. It's only if they come into my personal space. And then I give a nice warning. Just be like, listen, please don't come any closer. I'm a martial art instructor. I know it might not mean a lot to you, but all day long, I kick ass. Throw me alone. <laughs> I love it. Normally it works. It really works. Nice. Like, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm like, just leave me alone. You're right. You can take whatever that last T-bone steak there. You can have it. It's all good. I'll go to another store and get another one. You know, like, it's completely okay, man. But it took a long time to evolve to this. It really did. It took a lot of thought process to think like, this guy doesn't know me. And I, I keep going back to never argue with strangers because it's just a great way to think about it. Who's this guy? Why am I going to argue with him? And again, we're really honest. It's like, what are the odds of you changing that guy's mind in the heat of that? You will not. Virtually zero, right? If anything, it just it makes him entrench into the cognitive dissonance. So you're like... I'm wasting my energy, my time. Sure. I could absolutely be doing other things with it. It's it's so true. If there was a piece of advice, we've talked about adversity. We've talked about people going into it. You know my story about adversity. Could you share with us an adversity that you went through that at the time seemed like it would be really difficult to to get through or maybe maybe not even get through and you'd be stuck there, that once you got to the other side of it, you learned that lesson and what was the lesson that you were able to glean from that? Sure. So I'll share a very personal story that I haven't ever shared online or anywhere. So you'll be the first person to have the story. It came out in like little weird forms here and there. So when I was a younger kid, I was a complete bad kid. I was really bad. My mom and my father got a divorce and I didn't take it right because I was a young kid. I was like 15 years old or 14 years old and I'm seeing my family just broke apart, right? 
So I started running around with the wrong kids, doing all the wrong things. You know, we thought we were a gang or whatever. I'm a little dumb kid. So of course, there's no internet and none of this stuff. So we start doing all the bad things that bad kids can do. So we start stealing baseball cards and all that crap. Little, little petty crime things that don't mean a lot in the big scheme of life. I'm not out there killing people or doing crazy crap like that. So we stole these baseball cards from a Winnebago. Bo Jackson baseball cards, Michael Jordan baseball cards. All this crap. We get in trouble. We get busted. One of the kids that were with me, he's a career criminal, obviously. The other kid was a young kid like me. We are just around the wrong kid doing the wrong things. And we get really seriously involved in a court case where they're trying to throw me in jail for 10 years. Wow. Yeah, it gets really crazy. I'm a young kid. I'm doing martial arts too at the time. This goes back and forth for a number of years. And as it's going back and forth for a number of years, trying to like work, our attorneys trying to work with the district attorney and everything and trying to create a better deal to where all of us don't go to jail. I'm learning martial arts and I found my way during this crazy time. Fast forward like three and a half years later, I'm like 17 and a half, almost 18 years old. And it's time to go to court. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't work a deal. So Dan had to go jail. So I went to prison, 17 and a half years old, for 14 months. A real prison, not like a fake prison, <laughs> you know, like a jail cell in your county jail cell. I went to prison, prison. I was convicted. I was a felon. And they sent me to jail for theft of property. They gave me 10 years with nine suspended. That was a plea bargain. You know, since then, I've tried to go for clemency. So we are completely in a pending case right now to get full pardon. Because I was a young kid and shouldn't have probably got that. But I grew up in Arkansas. There are different, you know, there is race tension there. My fall partner was black. You know, the other partner was a white guy. And of course, me and Tyrone went to jail. And the other guy did not go to jail. So spending 14 months in a prison where you're institutionalized, you're living every day. And Arkansas is one of the only states that actually make you do manual labor and they pay you like something like half a cent an hour so all these things that you hear like the host squad i've been on the host squad i've had a shuck corn i've had to pick cotton i've had to dig ditches i've had all this stuff that this is like every single day of the week except for saturday and sunday you're working eight hours a day so this taught me a lot at an early age about being around and associating yourself with certain people. And how you could think somebody is cool could really just end your whole beginning or end of your life. Now, of course, that adversity was a big thing for me. Just give you a little bit of background story. My father's 26-year Army veteran, 26 years in the military. My Uncle Dean and my Uncle David, both like almost 30 years, too, in the military. So it's a military family, my whole family. So my father, like, he has to take me to to turn myself in. And he looked at me and he goes, you know, you can't even join the military now. He was like, you could fuck up everything, but, you know, now you can't even go to the military. That was a big disappointment for my father. So 14 months there every day, all I thought about was when I come out, 
at first I was thinking, how am I going to survive the next day? But I thought in my brain, how am I going to come out and rewrite my whole life? Because now I have this stamp on my life saying I'm X and, you know, I can't even join the military because somewhere in there, there was aspiration, come an army ranger or something like that, you know, Delta force something, something cool, you know, like, yeah. because my whole family, every Anderson man was in the military except for me. So you already know probably what my dad was thinking Mm -hmm. and, you know, getting out, he looked at me and he's like, what are you going to do with your life? How are you going to make something of yourself? And that was the start of me starting to go into martial arts full time. You know, I opened my first school when I was 21 years old in New York City. So 21 years old in New York City, opening, you know, martial arts school in 1996. It was a lot. It was really hard to overcome. So fast forward all of this stuff. It was like one year ago or two years ago, the prosecuting attorney of the city, he reached out and he's like, Dan, I want you to be the expert testimony in this murder trial. This man snapped this woman's neck, killed his wife. It's like, you know, all this stuff. The red herring is like, he he tried to say a slip and fell in the bathtub. And then he explained it all. And we looked at the whole thing and, you know, he snapped his neck. So he's like, I want you to be on stand. So I, I do the great testimony, the whole thing. And, you know, of course, I'm not expecting any of this crap. And then it's like cross-examination. And then the guy's like, can you tell everybody why you were in prison? But, you know, my jaw hit the floor. I was was not ready for that. And I was just like, you know, I was a young kid. I stole baseball cards. I was completely wrong. I did I did the crime. I did the time. And, and what I learned from it is what you see in front of you right now. The person that's accomplished in martial arts circles and all the things that I've done for the community and give back. And, but I realized that, you know, being around wrong people can really do that. You know, it haunts me every now and then it comes up every blue moon, you know, like they wouldn't let me in Canada. It was so funny. We're on a train, <laughs> like 50 Canadian Mounties surrounded me. And I was like, what the heck is going on? It's like, can you step to the back? And then I get in the back. So, you know, you have this thing, you know, what would you do? And I was like, and I was like, Look, I, I stole baseball cards. <laughs> it's like, those things? I'm like, yeah, the baseball card, you know? It's like, baseball cards. <laughs> like, yeah. They, they sent you to prison for that? I'm like, yeah, man, yeah. So, you know, a lot of people don't know it, you know, but I share it with fighters and I share it with close students that have been there a long time. And I always try to use it as like just a life lesson, just a life lesson. And what if it didn't happen? You might not know me. You might not know of me as a martial artist. I would have been a, in the army. I might would have been a ranger or something or something like that. I definitely couldn't have been a seal because I hate swimming. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of seals that hate swimming though too. So it makes you really bad. <laughs> well, that. But I definitely would have jumped out of a helicopter or something. It's a good time. I recommend it if you can. But what's so beautiful about that is you could have spent that entire time in prison stewing yeah. and being mad and being like, this is bullshit. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm a good person, played the victim, and then come out and gone the other direction. Because you know, as well as I do, that with recidivism or most people that go to prison, they become more educated as a criminal. They develop a network. They look at more options when they get out to, to do more of that. But you went the other direction. And now I'm sure that your father and your uncle are proud because you were teaching the military what works and what doesn't. So in a lot of ways, you've gone beyond full circle. You've gone up and above because when I was in the military, some of the stuff that they were trying to teach us with hand-to-hand or even blade work, I was like, 
Lieutenant, can I come talk to you for a second? I, I just want to, <laughs> I only know a little bit, but I want to show you what this is and this is. I think you were able to take that adversity and turn it into a huge win. And that puts you on this trajectory to help literally millions of people directly and indirectly with your work, with your beliefs, and with this incredible legacy that you're continuing to carry on from Bruce Lee to Guru Nasanto to your academy, to your students, and to every person that's listening to this. If you can hear this and you hear Sifu Anderson explaining that, yeah, it's okay to fall down. That's part of the human condition. It's what you do after, what you decide to do, and what you let that event mean to you that changes everything. Sure. I completely agree. I mean, look, you could have played the victim. There's an easy moment where I thought in my head, for a while, I was like, listen, I mean, this is a race thing. And, you know, I went down that road for a week or so. But again, it was my father. My father is a very strong man. Like I said, you know, he did the end of World War II, part of Korean conflict, and then he did Vietnam. And, he, you know, he's like, Dan, listen, you know, it's done now. Whatever's done is done. It's whatever you're going to go do next. And he's like, and if you get in there, first you have to think about your safety first. But he's like, I want you to read every day. I want you to lift weights, work out, and I want you to come out with a real plan of how you're going to contribute to society. And he's like, and if you ever, ever come out and you go the wrong way, he's like, I'm personally going to kick your ass. <laughs> I don't care how much Kung Fu you know or nothing because you have to go to sleep. <laughs> That's what he <laughs> I, was, I just started laughing. But I felt a big disappointment in my father. And I think he is such a strong man. You know, he lied to get into the end of World War II about his age. You know, he lied to go and to do something. It's, it's a definition of brave in my mind. It's like do everything to, to help another person. So that disappointment resonated with me so hard through that whole time. I just kept hearing his voice like, you know, get strong, get smart figure out what you're going to do. And when I came out and I was like, I'm going to open a martial arts school. I think he was a little like, what do you know about martial arts school business and all this? But he never tried to like take that dream away from me. He didn't. He was like, if that's what you want to do, is that what you love? Is that what you really want to do? That's your passion? Then go for it. I remember the first time I was like, I'm going to West Point and then teach at West Point. And he's like, really? West Point? And yeah, he couldn't believe it. He couldn't believe it. He was blown away. He's like, wow, that's incredible. How'd that feel? Yeah, it felt really good because, you know, it's, it's a career military, man. I never cussed in front of my father in his entire life. Think about that. Even when I was older, it would never, I would be too scared to even think about saying a curse word in front of my father. <laughs> it's like that level. He had a strong will. And I think a lot of his life lessons are coming into my teaching style and, and obviously like how I do things now, you know, with that self-respect, that self-respect is so important. And that's another reason why I give a lot of opportunities. Sometimes someone will mess up at the academy. The person will humble themselves and come back and be like, can I come back to the academy? I was absolutely wrong in this situation. And I will give that person a second chance. And a lot of that is because I think people are owed a second chance. I don't know if they're owed a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, a seventh, like that. But sometimes the action can justify giving the second chance. So you know, gave this kid a second chance. And some of the inner staff and church like, this guy, he said all this stuff and blah, 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 blah. And he's a good kid. He's lost. He doesn't have a dad. He's, he's a, a street kid. And 
let's let him clean the school and just let's see if we can help him and let's see if we can keep him, you know, from doing the wrong thing with his life. And that happens a lot at the academy. We have a lot of kids that need that second chance or that mentorship to like tell them, look, I've been in the same boat as you. I, I was in the wrong side of the track and something got me to the other side. And, you know, I wish I had somebody to help me. And I did. It was my father. But some kids don't have their father or they don't have a strong role model. So I try to really position myself to be that when the opportunity presents itself. I don't intentionally look for it, but if the opportunity is there, I'll, I'll drop whatever I'm doing and, and ask that and try to help the person always. You know, I, I just did it last week for somebody who was there, lost his job, lost all of his stuff. He's crying. He's been with me for a very long time. Very good fighter, good-hearted kid, everything. And it's like, Luca, you know, I'll give you some money. You don't have to pay me back. Just do it whenever you want. No time limit, just whatever. He just cried, you know, really hardcore crying. And I was like, look, it doesn't matter. We're all here for each other, you know? So I think you have to give people second chances. I think you do. Like I said, I don't know at what degree, you know, they go and kill a whole bunch of kids. Maybe you don't give that person a second chance, but you steal some baseball cards. You think you should get a second chance. And I think that when you go through adversity, it forces you to understand better empathy. If you've ever fallen down and somebody's picked you up, you will never forget that person. That The example you just gave, that young man will never forget you, the the impact that you had on his life because you actually lived it as opposed to talking a good talk. It's like, it is, it's octanon verbis. These not words. You're actually putting your money where your mouth is. It's like, I know you're going through hardship. He's going to pay that forward a thousand times to other people. And that's because you were not afraid to do it because you put yourself in a position to be able to do that, to allow other people to protect themselves in situations, whether it be a physical self-defense situation or even a financial self-defense situation. And that's why you're incredible at what you do, Sifu. Thank you. Thank you. It's so true. I mean, we have the best people. We stand on the shoulders of giants. Like, think of the people that we, we are around. If these people were in my life when I was a young kid. I mean, Jesus, can you imagine? You know, they're there now, but I always think that. So I think people like you, people like Daniel Lanero, people like Guru, people that are out there actually trying to change just the perception of things and help share these stories of adversity or these stories of empowerment. It's just the most incredible thing. I mean, you grew up, there was no internet. <laughs> no, I, there was no internet. I was in Oklahoma, like you are in Arkansas. So it was like trying to read the Tao Jeet Kune Do, like went over my head, the Tao Te Ching went over my head, but at least it was an exposure and it, it, it planted the seeds. And now that I'm older, I can kind of grab some of it, but I'm still like you and even like Guru, I'm still learning because I want to be a student. Think of me driving from Arkansas to Tulsa, Oklahoma to train with Sifu Gibson. That's where I learned KKB. Really? Terry Gibson? That's why sometimes when Guru Dan, you know, I have a picture of Sifu Gibson on the wall. And if Guru Dan looks at it, if he even remotely starts to like tear up, I instantly start to cry when he cries. It's a hardcore thing because I started studying with Sifu Gibson. He was my first teacher in JK and Kali. I would take the Muskogee Turnpipe all the way <laughs> there, all the way up, 15 years old. Sometimes a friend would drive us. 
Sometimes I would drive. Sometimes I'd steal the dad's car and drive. Then he'd be like, why is there 200 miles on the, you know, like 150 miles? I'd be like, uh, I just, I was, you just said you're going to the store. You've gone like four hours and something, you know, like, and then I'd, I'd tell him, but he knew that I was taking martial arts and he was very much about it. Like, okay, if you're going to drive and go do that, do it. But that lasted forever. That was like a normal thing going to Tulsa three times a week to do classes at Sifa Gibson's school and take private lessons. And then when Sifa got really sick and, you know, brain cancer and he passed away, you know, Darian called me on the phone and told me that he passed away. And I was like, I'm going to open a martial arts school. And I don't know if people understand, but being in Arkansas and then going to New York, like, like, there's already culture shock all over the place there. Like you're going from this to you're going to open a school in the the Big Apple. That means every person there wants to like test you and bump into you and see what you got. There's a lot of adversity there, but I think there's been so much adversity in my life. But I think the big one was that it was a catalyst that changed me for the better. And that was a big one because I was a young, lost, scared kid that was extremely impressionable with with people that looked like they had it together. I didn't want to become a military kid. And I did, I was thinking, I don't want to go to the army. I don't want to do this. But in retrospect, now I think like I would have done that. I would have been really good at that. Like, <laughs> it's so funny. And there's a lot of adversity. I think that's a key story. But, you know, Simo Gibson, she is the one that connected me with Guru Dan after Super passed away. I'm the only person that she ever recommended for instructorship was just me. I was the last person and the first person, she said. I don't know if she's done it since. That's a huge honor. People may not understand how powerful that is, but that is a huge testament to you, my friend. Yeah, thank you. They believed in me. So she believed in me with the school, which was a big thing. And I go, look, I want to open a school. And she's like, do you think you can do that? It's like New York. You're not playing games right now. You know, people are going to come and knock on your door and you better be ready for everything and anything. And, you know, I was like, yeah, I can do it. And here it is <laughs> a long time later. <laughs> that is just a, such a beautiful journey. That's the hero's journey. See who that's truly the, the hero's journey because we hit adversity, we fall down, we want to give up. We feel like we're never going to be able to get there. Adversity strips away all the bullshit that we're not, shows us what we really are. Then you're given another challenge for redemption. And now you've created this huge empire that is making such a huge impact on the East Coast. It's going all over the country. It's going all over the world. I mean, it's it's so loud that even Guru Santo is feeling it over on the West Coast. Truly, it's a fact. <laughs> Thank you. I feel honored to be able to do it and, and just give 100%. And I think you can recognize this. It's like, once you hit that rock bottom, you know how it feels and you know how it is to climb out of the ditch. And you're just kind of like, hey man, I'm still here. There's nowhere to go except for up. Let me just keep climbing up. So I think it's a good thing when you hit rock bottom because it shows you what bottom really is. And I've I've hit it not once, twice, three, four. I've hit it a lot of times. You know, there's been times where the school almost closed down. We couldn't afford to keep the lights on or students come in and the lights are off. And we're like, oh, a fuse box blue. You know, like it's just the things that you do, especially when you're a business owner, you've hit rock bottom so many times. Even during this pandemic, and we lost 
hundred something students or something. Obviously, it's no one's fault, but just the nature of what's going on with the world. But you feel like you lost everything. And then you're like, well, how do we make a meaningful pivot right now to, to help everybody? Let's find some light in this dark situation. And then I think if you can always just keep shifting yourself like that, you're just going to keep winning. You're going to keep succeeding and keep doing things. And these things are going to be your big story at the end of your life. You're going to have a really nice, beautiful story instead of just like a one page. You want to go out there and create an incredible story for yourself. I agree. And the thing is, wars change, but warriors do not. And you are a warrior and you've applied it to everything that you do. And like you said, being in that darkness and hanging rock bottom, sometimes that darkness makes it easy to find the light and you're shining light on everything that you do, Sifu. So I cannot thank you enough for giving just such a a powerful, raw testimony to the the beauty of martial arts, to the lineage of Guru Nasanto, how he's influenced you and how you're truly living it every day and every breath with every intention, every deed, every thought that you're doing. And I'm sure that everybody that's heard this conversation wants to learn more about you. Where can we find out more about you? How can we get you to come speak to our company or come for a lesson or all of the things that you offer? Sure. So you can go to andersonsmartialarts.com. That's the best way to just communicate with the school and myself. You can always email there and someone will 100% email them. I am on social media, but I don't know if you ever see my my social media. They have to be kind of like thought-provoking moment. So I'm a very slow writer. And sometimes I'll write something and it'll take me two months to finish it or a month and a half. And then I just keep framing it. Another thing is I I also want to make sure that whatever I'm projecting on my own personal account, it's also something that is going to be inspiring, motivational, or a life lesson in a whole. Like I love that people post pictures of food or something, but that will never be me. (laughs) Unless somebody like there's a real context behind it, you know, and I've, I've been very fortunate to put myself in these weird situations and moments and experiences in life. And I, I always try to share as much of that as I can with people to try to give them a little bit of that insight. Like what you're doing now, this is an incredible thing. I wish I could do it. I, I, I interviewed a couple of people and I was like, I can't do this. I'm not very much a conversationalist with things. I was like, you have to be really good at knowing how to like turn the conversations. And, you know, I was just, yeah, I, I think I'll stick with what I do really well. <laughs> I don't know if you're giving yourself enough credit, Sifu, because this was a, an incredible conversation. I've learned so much. I've got so many life lives that you didn't think it was good. Yeah, I don't think I said anything very profound. I was like, like, like well, we just got to get you uh, to write a book. And then, like you said, if it takes you a little bit of time, that's fine. It took me a year and a half to write my book. But like you said, because it needs to be something powerful. He's not Gary Vee. He's not putting up 12 things a day, guys. But the good thing is it's quality over quantity. I'm, I'm the same way. I'm not putting stuff up all the time. But if it's you know what we're working towards that really means something to us, that's what it should be there for. So follow him on Instagram, everyone. Sifu, thank you so much, my friend. I've learned so much and I cannot wait to come out there and learn from you. Hopefully I can come out there whenever Gudo's out there, get some instructor hours into and go have some foe afterwards and have a great time. Yeah, for sure. I'm shooting and throwing axes, <laughs> shooting bow and arrow every day. We're throwing knives every day. Got a whole target set up behind me. We're out there every day having a good time. You know, Daniel was supposed to come out. We're going to grill some steaks and just throw axes yes. and knives, shoot bow and arrow. It's the funnest thing in the world, man. Love it. It's fun. It's so fun. Come out. <laughs>
and you're cultivating the warrior culture as well. So I, that's beautiful. It's just a fun thing to do. I agree. You're building the skill while having fun. You know, that's what I like now. That's, that's my thing now. I'm like, all right, let's not take ourselves serious. So these axes, have a little glass of whiskey or something. <laughs> there we go. You'll feel good. Yeah. You'll feel good at the end of the day. You'll be like, this is amazing. <laughs> Fantastic. So cathartic. See for Dan Anderson. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Okta Nonverba. If this message resonates with you, please share it out with others on social media. Hit that subscribe button and leave a review for the show anywhere you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please go to MarcusAureliusAnderson.com and join his Okta Nonverba Inner Circle to get exclusive content, news, and information. Until next time, remember, talk is cheap. Live your life based on actions, not words.